Hey there. I'm glad you've tuned in to the No Water Methodist podcast. I'm Jeffrey Rickman. I'm the preacher here. And uh, this podcast is going to be me preaching. Surprise, surprise. A lot of you tuning in have listened before. You know what you're getting into. If this is your first time listening, uh, my heart is for getting people plugged into local churches. I think church is a big deal. I hope that comes through in my preaching and teaching and leading. Um, I think church is much more than a social club or going through the motions. It's it's intimate relations. So as I'm preaching on this particular topic today, this is Jonah chapter 2. Jonah's prayer from inside the whale, or a, a blessing to God, a, a prayer to God, a, a song. It's about descending to the realm of the dead. And then, of course, uh, if he does die there, and that's kind of a question, not for some people, but for me, um, then the question is, you know, what what does the realm of the dead have to do with us now, and particularly our, our dearly departed loved ones? This just so happens to coincide with All Saints Day, and as the season gets colder, it's an untemperately, uh, or uh, un abnormally warm day here, but as the cold season comes, people always uh, die at high fr frequencies, higher frequencies, and uh, it's just a hard time of year for people, you know, and so we're just a couple weeks out from Advent beginning and then Christmas. It's the second busiest time of the year for a lot of pastors. It's the first busiest for a lot. A lot of churches get real concerned with the liturgical year or just the the all the motion all the, the stuff going on, all the activity. And that's not really where I direct people. I direct people towards a, a deep meditative reflection on these most important things. And as I'm talking on these things, um, the the sermon you're about to listen to is the last sermon that my sister Jill ever heard me preach before she died. She was in worship on the back row, and she died a couple nights ago. And uh, I'm just really glad that I got to minister to her. And then after I got done preaching, I got to serve her communion. And um, I don't know. We serve a really good God. We have a really good faith. I'm just so thankful and grateful. It's, you know, Christians are this really weird people in America where the culture is very obsessed with light, positive, always got to be happy. And and Christians, we don't have to do that. You know, the the darkness holds no real threat for us. You know, our the darkness doesn't comprehend the light, as we're told in John chapter 1. And so we can talk about Jonah being swallowed by the big fish or the sea monster, whatever he is, and we can look at our own lives and see our own suffering and persecution and turmoil and tribulation, and we can realize that God is in that, and if God is in it, then we're going to be okay. So... Um, there's a lot of depths of knowledge and, and wisdom here, and I'm not going to do it justice because uh, I'm a fool. But, uh, you know, the Word speaks for itself, so I hope you really enjoy hearing God's Word over the next little bit. And uh, I would just ask you to pray for my church community, if you're a member of our church community, that, um, that God would send His Holy Spirit powerfully and that He would equip us to minister to this town and love one another so that people look at us and go see how they love one another. It's a really wonderful church we have here, and we lost a wonderful saint. But when we have Christ, we have all. Anyway, uh, I'll be done preaching for now, so you can 
listen to me preach some more. Enjoy. If you didn't get the setup to this, chapter one is quite rich. I enjoyed preaching through it last week. The only parts that I would, I'll, I'll recapitulate a couple of things, but if you want the fullness of that, then you need to look up your church's podcast and, and look at what we talked about last week. Jonah, Jonah's a prophet. God has given him a task he doesn't want to do. He tries to run away to the far ends of the earth, gets on a ship. God sends a storm. These pagans on the ship that are more faithful than him discern what God wants, eventually throw him overboard, ask God's forgiveness, pray to God, give sacrifices to God. As soon as they throw him over, God stills the storm, and then Jonah gets swallowed. Chapter 1 ended by a big fish. The Hebrew is dag gadol. Now, I talked about it last week, and I'm going to re. re insist this week, I do believe this is the chaos monster described in Genesis 1, the end of Job. I believe that this ancient evil entity of chaos and destruction was taken advantage of by God's Holy Spirit and used for his purposes. I think it literally happened, and I think it has figurative value for us today. So I'm not going to do one of these mealy mouth sermons of, oh, this is all an allegory. This is just uh, a metaphor, a sermon for us, and I realize that makes me look stupid, but you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, when we covered 1 Corinthians a few months ago, he was very clear that the wisdom of God looks like lunacy, foolishness to the world. Um, even if, you know, I, it's never made sense to me. Why would we believe in some of the miracles in the Bible and not all of the miracles? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus gave a guy his uh, sight back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God stopped the sun for a little bit so that the Israelites could slay a bit longer. But no, 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 we can't believe that a man was literally swallowed by a fish. It's just so strange to me, the, the, the dividing lines, you know. Okay, this one's reasonable to believe in, this one's not. You know what, if you're, if you're bound by reasonableness, by any standard other than what's in the Word, you're just going to run into a stumbling block. So, I, and I, I guess I am saying that to argue with you a little bit, because I just think God's Word is true, and it's so much easier and clearer for you if you're not playing this game of, okay, uh, how can I make this figurative so that I can accept it? Just accept it and then figure out how it's true. Anyway, this is going to pick off from him being in the belly of the big fish. If you think what I just said was crazy, I explained it more last week, so look it up. I did sound a bit smarter then. Um, Okay, chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, now, we talked about this earlier, some things are required for praying out loud, vocal cords and air, right? So, is there air inside of this fish? Is he breathing inside of this fish for three days and not running out of oxygen? Is that what's going on? Is he breathing quietly in his mind as he enters into a kind of catatonic state? It doesn't tell us this stuff. My my buddy Robbie over at the Delaware Church thinks he died and he prayed this in the realm of the dead. I kind of think that too, to be honest with you. Because, you know, Jesus said the only sign that will be given you is the sign of Jonah. When he's talking about himself, because Jonah was dead and he was brought back alive on the third day. A lot of people who read this, you know, this poem, that, that this prayer that he recites is a poem about how he died. And they say, oh, this is just figurative. God kept him alive in there. It's weird. They say the whole story is figurative. And then they say, oh, the prayer is figurative. Just give me a break. Can you tell the commentary I'm reading is not very good? Anyway, um, he's praying this prayer 
that he died. And so why would it be fictitious that, that God brings someone back from the dead? I mean, heck, I mean, Jesus, you know. Oh, only Jesus, never anybody else. Well, here, I mean, here it sounds this way to me. Let's listen to the, the prayer he says. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Do alive people go to the realm of the dead? He's saying he died. And I prayed to God from there, and he heard me. Jonah, who had run from God and rebelled against him. Jonah, who had refused to do what he said. He cried out to God, and God heard his prayer. Any of you ever rebelled and gone away from God? For some of you, it wasn't very long ago. Some of you, you might go home and do it again. Now, what part of the message here is, if you repent, God lets you do that. Just because you've sinned yesterday, just because you sinned today, does not mean that he won't listen to you tomorrow. But it does require repentance, turning your back on your old ways. He knew he messed up. He lifted his prayer up to God. God heard his prayer. God is merciful. Verse 3, he's talking to God. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Okay, so this is sea imagery, right, Susanna? We're thinking about sea imagery, stuff going on at the sea. And it just happened to be, Sarah Beth wasn't even planning this out. She had us sing, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me a few minutes ago. All nautical imagery. I told you all last week, that boy's going nuts. All right. Um, here, here's the words. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. So it's not talking about flying in a plane. It's talking about a pilot of a ship. We're on a tempestuous sea. And for the ancient Hebrews, the sea was a place people died, right? It's a place of chaos. It's a place of sinking and destruction and death. Hebrews wanted to be on the land in an ordered place, a good city. This is the opposite. So this is life. Life we're going through. Susanna, if I keep seeing you mess around, I'm just going to have to move you. Okay, just sit and be cool. Thank you. Your daughter's just fine. Mine is just wacky. All right. Now, the Hebrews knew that the sea was a place of death. Remember, the sea was the place where the Egyptians got wiped out. One of the first hymns that we have in the Bible is the hymn of Moses singing about how they congealed in the deeps and God sucked them down into hell through the water, you know. This, this taps into something deep in the psyche, and Jonah's going, man, I went to the place where the ancient Egyptians went. God put me there, and yet he's praising God who punished him, right? The hymn says, as Jesus, Savior, pilot me, unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Shoal is like the rocks on the, the beach. Chart and compass came from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Verse 2 says, as a mother stills her child, you can hush the ocean wild. Boisterous waves obey your will when thou sayest to them, be still. Remember, that's what Jesus said over the storm, the wind of the waves, and they did. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. And then the death verse. A lot of our uh, hymns have good death verses. When at last I near the shore. Now it's talking about the River Jordan. And remember, the River Jordan is a metaphor for death, right? So the, the, the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. That's where we are right now, figuratively speaking. We're in the wilderness. And then Jordan, the river Jordan, is what you cross to get to the promised land, right? The promised land is heaven. River Jordan is the act of dying. 
It's the act of dying. So in one sense, all of life is dying. Is, Paul said, I die every day, right? But in another sense, we are someday, unless Christ comes first, going to die. And here's what that's like. When at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar, twixt me and the peaceful rest, the promised land on the other side, so there's, there's roaring water. It's very tempestuous. Then while leaning on your breast, may I hear thee say to me, fear not, I will pilot thee. So this, this, this imagery of the water, this thing that Jonah's tapping into, it's very deep. It's very primeval, very, very deep in our spirits. A great fear of chaos and destruction, a great fear of powerlessness. I remember the first time I went to the beach as a teenager, they warned me about the undertow. And uh, I didn't know about this till I was like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14. But when the tide is going back out, the water has, it comes back very powerfully underneath. And if you get caught by it, it can drag you underneath for hundreds of yards out. And so you're fighting it and there, you can't get loose. And finally, if you do get loose, you come to the top, you're, 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 100, 200 yards out from the, and you're so tired you can't swim back and you just drown. That's the kind of dread that it's describing here. We're in verse 4, I think. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Remember the holy temple thing. We'll come back to it. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. Can you imagine how terrible that would be? I mean, it's like the sea, I mean, he makes it sound like the seaweed has a mind of its own. It's like tendrils wrapping you up. He said, that's what I went through. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. Uh, I, I watched a thing a few weeks ago on how we still don't have the, the floor of the ocean mapped. Did y'all know this? If you've ever seen a, a, a map, they, it's just like guesses. They don't really know. So right now they have ships that are really looking. And what we found is there are mountain ranges under the ocean that we don't even know about. So this is something that, that, that he was aware of. Well, first off, he's in the Mediterranean Sea. It's not the, the ocean exactly, but he knows that there are very deep places, very big places. He sank to the bottom of them. The earth beneath barred me in forever. So the notion is that like the floor of the sea swallowed him up and then he saw bars. He, he's in a prison now, an underwater, underground prison. Doesn't it sound lovely? It's just the worst imagery. He says, you put me here, and it was the worst place. I went through this terrible death of sinking and drowning and dying and going into the realm of the dead. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Here's, here's an important thing. We live in an age where there are some people who say that God can do nothing to us that ever feels bad. That's not really the scriptural witness. The scriptural witness, Old and New Testament, is that God often punishes and disciplines those whom he loves. It says it flat out in, in uh, uh, Hebrews, in the New Testament. He says, Lord, you put me here, and then you brought me out. Paul warns in the New Testament that do not think that what you're going through is unique. You're not going through anything that is not common to all men. Be faithful for a time, and then God will give you freedom from that. I butchered it, but that's what he says, and that's the case with God. God punishes us, he disciplines us, and then he brings us out. The question is, are we going to be faithful when we're going through that hard time? 
That's why all of the New Testament is persevere, endure, believe, sustain, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. All of that is important. And we're not singing to people who have it easy and it's always sunshine and rainbows. We're singing to people who have it really hard. Satan is firing his fiery darts at us, his, his arrows. We and our sin natures are warring against the Holy Spirit in us all the time. It is hard. And God puts us in this position where we go through hard, painful times. And we can either say, oh, that's not God, that's not God. I have nothing to learn from this. Just get me out of it. Or to say, okay, God, there's wisdom in this. Show me. Oh, God, there's wisdom. There, there's strength I need to build up. Build it in me. Oh, God, help me to sustain throughout all this. Help me to trust that you will liberate me from this in the end. You see how important this is? If your God never does anything painful to you, then you're going, God, why are you letting this happen? If you believe that God does let bad things happen to you and sometimes does painful things to you, then you're going, God, show me, show me. I want to learn. I want to grow. Show me. You're going to your scripture going, okay, what do I need to learn here? You're talking to your holy friends going, okay, what, what am I not understanding? How can I grow? Would you pray for me? The God you believe in determines what your life looks like and whether or not you can sustain in the hard times or whether or not you sell out and disrespect the God who has purchased you. That's what's at stake here. Jonah had the good sense. Even though he ran from God, he repented when it was time and God saved him. You, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. The pit is Sheol. The pit is the place of the dead. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. You see that temple language again? Earlier in verse, where was it? 4, he said, I will look again toward your holy temple. He was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. But then now he talks about how his prayers rose to God's holy temple. That's in heaven above. We, today, we don't have a temple. Actually, the, the temple implements have already been built and they are wanting to build a third temple in Jerusalem. They haven't done it yet. That's not what this sermon is about. But we don't have a temple today. We don't need blood sacrifice anymore. We already had. The temple was where they did blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. That's where God's temp, uh, presence was among the Jews. What we believe as Christians is that the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Jesus, his blood was shed for us. And that's the last blood needed. That's enough to atone for all of our, our sins. But even so, his mind is drawn towards God's dwelling here on earth. That's the point here. Whenever the Gospel of John described Jesus, Jesus tabernacled with us. The tabernacle was a temple. It's where God came and resided among us. We believe Jesus came and resided among us, and then those of us who are in Christ, his Holy Spirit resides in us, and we are walking temples, kind of. That's the New Testament language. So he's saying his prayer rose up to God's holy temple, and so God heard his prayer. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols, children, what is idolatry? Okay, thank you, Kate. Don't let her bully you like that. You got to let, you, you, I bet you could be louder than her. But um, idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator, right? Anything that is not God, if you put your trust in it, you are an idolater. It's a very high standard. Those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. If you put your trust in things other than God, you are not going to turn to God when you need to. Verse 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So we've heard that sacrifice 
language right here. We've had the temple image. We've had the repentance language. This is stuff that we saw in the pagan uh, people on the ship. This is something we're now seeing in Jonah. This is something it's directing us to as well. A life marked by repentance and sacrifice. Now, we don't have to sacrifice, as I said before, animals. Now, what we're told in Romans is our prayers, our worship are our spiritual sacrifice, good and pleasing to God. So right now, we're offering the sacrifice due our Father in heaven. Verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. We'll talk more. We'll pick up there next week, but we just read some poetry together, and most of you are still awake. Very good job.